Hello. Welcome back. We're doing we'll be more of the Oscars. Last we last time we lied to you, we said it was the Oscars episode, and it was actually only half of it. But here's the other half, so all is forgiven, right? Hmm. Right? We can't hear you! <laughs> <laughs> Hi, yeah. Uh, uh, if we've got a new listener inexplicably joining us for part two of our what is this, seventh Oscars special. Thanks. Uh, go listen to part one, I guess, and maybe some of the older episodes. I'm Sol. Joining me as always is Alan and Hello. Calvin. Hello. Yes, it is me. You sound unsure. <laughs> Can't be too sure these days. Ryzen AI mm. technologies made it all very... I reckon we could get <laughs> Joe Biden on the podcast without too much effort now. <laughs> could we get an AI Calvin? That'd be quite good. Yeah. I bet there's enough of Calvin uploaded to the internet that it would probably be quite easy. <laughs> That's how he does to create his videos, an man. AI Calvin. <laughs> uh, a friend of mine did actually put it into an AI, you know, generator thing, like do a Calvin Dyson talking about Bond video script or something like that. W- what was it? A text thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it oh, was wow. surprisingly uh, quite <laughs> accurate. It was a bit terrifying. <laughs> I've been having fun with Chat GB, whatever it's called, Chat GBT thing. I asked mm. it which is the most the the biggest dickhead out of all the characters on Scrubs because I was getting annoyed while I was rewatching <laughs> Scrubs with uh, Carla, <laughs> and it got very high and mighty with me, like. None of them are dickheads. They're all fully formed, well-rounded characters with their own pros and cons, their own flaws and strengths. None of them are dickheads. And I was like, mate, if you think every character in Scrubs is like a fully formed, three-dimensional, well-written character, you're having a laugh. Some of them are like barely two-dimensional. Which is fine, I like Scrubs, but you know, come on. Do you think when the inevitable... AI generated movie comes out that will be embraced by the Oscars or flat out <laughs> <No>. rejected. <laughs> have you seen um have you seen the AI generated Steam Tams? No. <laughs> what have you seen the AI generated uh, Seinfeld? No. <laughs> right, so at the moment there's a there's currently streaming on Twitch an infinitely AI generated generated episode of Seinfeld, and it's you know it's very basic, like crude CGI. Um, I, I don't think it's like rendering the images with AI so much as it's like running a kind of almost like a video game kind of thing with hmm. different models representing the characters in the set, and the AI is creating the script, which is then being fed into what the characters say and do. Um, hmm. And it's just infinitely looping round and round. It'll do a scene in the apartment and then it'll cut to a scene of Jerry Seinfeld in front of an audience doing stand-up and back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. And it's a really interesting like art piece because it's so basic and bizarre at this point. But it actually is writing some decent jokes. It got banned from Twitch momentarily for being transphobic at one point. Which was, uh, <laughs> actually, if you really want to get into it, um, the joke seemed to be about transphobia rather than being overtly transphobic. It was Jerry Seinfeld went up and was like, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna try out some transphobic material because that seems to be doing well at the moment. Uh, oh, you know, material about how there's only two genders and that. 
hey, where did everybody go? And then it like carried on. And all then you got these Twitter threads of people going like, well, I believe the AI's intent was to do this. And then it's like, it's 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 an AI. It's not got an intent. It's just, well, it's just randomly mashing shit together. Anyway, someone created a steamed hams version of it. And it's just infinitely looping hmm. Skinner and Chalmers. And good God, my Alaskan crab is ruined. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe I can get down to the market in time <laughs> and pass it off as <laughs> baked Alaskan crab. I'm mm. sorry, Chalmers. I tried to cook you a delicious dinner of <laughs> mahi mahi. <laughs> it, it's honestly, it's it's baffling. That, um... huh. So yeah, it won't be long. I think give it, what do we reckon? Five years? Three years? Hmm. Yeah. There'll be, there'll be a fully AI generated movie soon enough. I think one of the things that one of the main stumbling blocks I was reading about this was uh, something to do with copyright because um, technically the people who set the AI to make a thing won't own the copyright. I I think there's no real precedent set for who owns copyright. You know I remember I mean. people were talking about in relation to that wildlife photographer who uh, yes. was, that a monkey stole his camera and took a photo yeah. of itself, and then there was this whole. I think it went to court, didn't it? Because yeah, the, it did, the, the yeah. argument of does he own the copyright or does the monkey own the copyright? Um, I think it ended up in favor of the monkey, did it not? I might be uh, wrong there, but I don't know. Yeah, but he also went. was prosecuted for stealing a camera, so. <laughs> uh, anyway, none of this has anything to do with the Oscars. It does because I'm 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 telling ChatGPT to generate an introduction for this episode right now. <laughs> ah, tell it to decide what order we can do them in. It's mm. got right, it, uh, ladies and it's doing it very slowly. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special episode. Fucking hell, it's uh, that's. That's what we say. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special episode we don't of say Diminishing ladies. Returns Film <laughs> Podcast. Today we're taking a deep dive into the glitz and glamour of Hollywood's biggest night, the Oscars. The 2023 Academy Awards have come and gone. What? No, they haven't. And as always, there were surprises, snubs, and controversy. Right, this is fucking bullshit, chat GPT. Doesn't know what it's doing. Absolute idiot. It's still, it's still generating. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some scintillating Oscar talk. Mm. Yeah. No, that's true. Got that much right. Yeah, Alan, I like your idea there, because we do need a running order. So, let's say, generate a running order for a podcast discussing the films. (laughs) The Banshees of Inisherin, Top Gun Maverick. Elvis, women talking, and everything, everywhere, all at once. Let's see what it says. Oh wow, it's real. Oh sure, here is a possible running order. Number one, introduction and welcome, tick. Oh. Number two, review of The Banshees of Inisherin. We discuss the film's unique setting, its themes of grief and community, and the performance of its cast. Well, we can do that, I think. You know what? This running order's pretty good because they've saved mm. uh, the best film to talk about till last. I, this is actually oh. a really good running order. Let's do this. Right. Banshees of Inisherin, number one. Okay. All right. All right. Like, right. Well. Okay. 
So anyone joining us now, by the way, uh, in case it's not abundantly clear, this is part two. Last episode, we discussed Avatar 2, All Quiet on the Western Front, uh, The Fableman's Triangle of Sadness, and Tar. If you want to hear about any of those, go and listen to that. And now we are going to jump into the other five, starting with The Banshees of Inisherin. Hmm. Alan, you were in a mood about this film, weren't you? You were very grumpy. Oh, no! I remember when I um, last saw Alan in real life, he was talking about going to see this film at a screening, and I, I said, I could see this either be like something that you yeah. completely adore. Like, yeah. To be honest, Alan, Alan, if you asked me to like pick a perfectly up Alan Street film, it would look <laughs> something like this. Um, <clears throat> please t- explain how we're wrong. <laughs> Alan is a weird one with all of this, because he's just completely impossible to predict. And I honestly, <laughs> like you say, you could despise this film, you could love it. But last I spoke to you was before you you had seen it, but you were just very like, ah, oh, it looks really shit, it looks like it's trying to be in Bruges, ah, oh, yeah, sick of it. So I think if you don't like it, it's going to be some semblance of, it's going to be something like, look, can we, can we all just admit Martin McDonough isn't that good? Like, he had one <laughs> film in Bruges, and it's like, are we going to get over this this idea that he's, like, actually good? Because he's just doing the same thing, and what's the point? It's going to be something like that. But also, you might love it, so let's see. <laughs> I, I have a complicated relationship with Martin McDonough. I think I, I do quite like his stuff. I actually think in Bruges, the exception to most of his stuff is more commercial um, and a bit more friendly than most of his stuff. Yeah, and <clears throat> it's also better. Uh, but yeah, yeah, but he does like to play with these very depressing themes. Um, I guess I've seen enough of his stuff now to feel a, it's a bit samey, uh, and that's losing its luster for me. My main problem with Banshees of Inner Sharon, as I watched it, was I think I was in the wrong mindset. Uh, just when I went in, Ooh, I was. He didn't not... like it, Calvin. He didn't like it. Well, I was. It's not that particularly. It was. I was not in a perhaps not in a great place, and it's just utterly, utterly depressing. Oh, um, Alan's best mate had just cut him out of his life, and uh, <laughs> it hit hard. I think. Did he actually? Um... <laughs> no. Oh, oh, that's a reference <laughs> to the plot of the film. <laughs> yes, I get it. Uh, but. There were bits. There were, I, was, I I saw this in a cinema, and um, there were bits that people laughed at that I did not laugh at. Yeah, um, and it was, but it's very darkly comic, and I kind of got the humor, but I was not appreciating it because I was just depressed. <laughs> yeah. And and then after watching it, I just felt hollow, and um, the, my friend who I went to see it with just burst into tears. So, <laughs> <laughs> of laughter or sadness? Uh, sadness. Yeah. Oh. just utter mm. depression. I don't think of this film being a comedy, really. I think that's a bit of a an inaccurate. You know, certainly label some darkly there. comic bit. Yeah, yeah, but I think I think this is very much a drama, uh, mm. with a sense of humor. If we're getting into that, you know, In Bruges is a comedy, undeniably. Mm. It's a funny film. Um, I don't think the Banshees of Inisherin is setting out to to make you. Um, you know, laugh for an hour and a half in the same way. I, I think it's it's a drama, and then it's just written by someone who 
can't help but be a bit playful and silly with it which you know is mm. a, a that's kind of how i like my art <laughs> i like it made by people who can't be sincere entirely for too long at a time oh we might have all seen very different films here because i i thought this was hilarious and uh, really? <laughs> one, one of the funniest films uh, i've seen in a long time that um, makes sense though your sense of humor is just pitch black it is it is actually you just you you love really mean because I, I agree with you, Alan. I think it's a really it, it's a really mean premise, but it's I think it's fascinating to explore that because for, for anyone who hasn't seen it, the plot of in uh, not in Bruges, the plot of the Banshees of Inisherin is so small and insular and slight. Um, it, it is there are these two friends on this little island, this little island off the mainland in Ireland, um, and one day one of them just decides he doesn't want to be friends with the other one anymore. And there's no real, not, like, major justification for that. There's certainly no, um, like, singular moment you could point to that, you know, it's not like he did anything. He's just a bit older, and he's he feels like he wastes his life away by spending time with this other person, and he aspires to do bigger and greater things with his life than to just sit in the pub having a nice chat and a pint, you know? Um, and that is a really... It's a really upsetting premise. It's it's really, like... As all the other characters throughout the film say, it's not nice. Um, and Colin <laughs> Farrell, who plays the friend who's, who's left behind in the situation, he plays it so well. Um, for my money... Uh, Colin Farrell is the best male lead performance of the year that I've I've seen in a film. I d- you know he's not going to win the Oscar, but I thought he was. I thought the acting across the board, actually, if we want to get into that, was exceptional. Uh, mm. Which is no surprise given the cast. You know, you've got Brendan Gleeson in there. I don't think I've ever seen him give a bad performance in anything. Uh, Kerry Condon as well, absolutely fantastic. And even Barry Barry Keoghan, is that how you say it? Keoghan? 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 However you say his name. Who won the BAFTA between the last episode we recorded and this one. A mm. uh, real surprise win there for Best Supporting Actor over Brendan Gleeson. I must admit, I don't quite understand the love for that performance. It's just... I think he is a very... I find him very hit and miss as an actor, but there's a real sense of goodwill for him at the moment. People obviously love him, and I, I kind of like that I'm on board with him for a change in this film. I, I think it's probably to his benefit that his stardom is on an upward tra- trajectory, Like particularly like with Batman, he's kind of already been earmarked for a significant role in what is going to be a huge blockbuster, and I think it's going to his... be terrible if they let him do that. <laughs> His very, uh, sort of, you know, I, I don't mean to trivialise it by framing it like this, but Rags to Riches' life story is quite um, mm. unique when it comes to a lot of actors in these categories who go up for awards. Well, I, and... I know nothing of his personal life, so is is that so? Is he just like a little working class lad who's kind of... In and out well, of foster is... care and that oh, really? kind of thing. Yeah, and right. then sort of, you know, he, he's that very old school sort of working class actor type who yeah. has you know been very lucky and landed some really good roles 
Um, yeah. I thought he was great in this. I thought some of yeah. his stuff was quite heartbreaking. That scene that has been going around Twitter of him and Kerry Condon at the side of the lake. I, I, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite heartbreaking um, in a lot of ways, but he's still very funny with it. And I just, I think, you know, that character in relation to Colin Farrell in relation to Brendan Gleeson and how Brendan Gleeson is so, you know so over Colin Farrell and he thinks he's so dull and the stupidest person he's ever met and then Colin Farrell mm-hmm. has that similar kind of relationship with uh, Barry Keoghan Keoghan yeah um yeah I, I I thought that all worked quite nicely I I agree I mean that's it I I kind of want to like Barry Keoghan Kogan Kagan and I do here. But I also don't think he's, you know, holding a candle to what Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson and Kerry Condon are doing. I think they're on another level. But no, uh, acting aside, I thought all of this film, actually, on the kind of... Technical isn't the right word, but I don't know a better word to use. On the kind of technical side, it was all pretty spot on. Um, Cinematography, I thought, was wonderful. To say it's... It's not got a huge deal to work with. It's Again, it's a very small story... You have got this lovely landscape, but that can become very repetitive and and dull very easily. Um, I think the cinematography is gorgeous in this film. I think the editing is really nice in this film, um, which is an odd thing to stand out to the extent that it does. Um, It's just a very well-made film, very well put together, well-crafted. But I think at this point we, we know to expect that from Martin McDonagh. Uh, one one negative I will say is that I did feel that this would have perhaps worked better as a short film, which is something I would never normally... Mm. It's so rare that I would say that, but I did feel there was a very distinct point, kind of maybe two-thirds into the film, where the dynamics we're watching started to just kind of feel like they were just repeating themselves and it, it wasn't yes i know what you mean. i hadn't really thought of it in those terms but i actually i agree with you there yeah it, it it kind of feels like we've got a beat up front it's really interesting it plays out really well that escalates two or three times and then it escalates a further four or five times and it, it just starts to feel unnecessary after a point but but that's my mcdonough getting unnecessary after a point is basically my mcdonough summed up in a sentence <laughs> But it's not it's not like an overly long film or anything, is it? I think it, it it largely feels like, well, we've got to get this up to feature length. But I, I, I still think it's a really interesting film because it creates so much um compelling drama and humour and everything out of like a really nuanced, subtle uh jumping off point you know the the plot is ultimately such a small thing and i think that's very interesting that not only is someone made you know it's only a a a notch away from being like dogma 95 in terms of that sort of content you know um i think it's amazing someone's made such a good job of that and that it's connecting with audiences as well Mm -hmm. so yeah i liked it anyway um i'm gonna give it an eight out of ten my, I, I've struggled to rate this, and you know, my my thing really is that I completely identified with Brendan Gleeson's character. Oh, for fuck's um, sake! <laughs> I don't know what this says about you and me, Sol. I'm nervous now where this is going. <laughs> but no, this is this was a st- this was his character. It was his story, as far as I'm concerned. Colin Farrell was there just to, as a um, as something to bounce off of, but. 
I've got to go and make the British sitcom history podcast. I've got to leave my legacy behind. <laughs> it was the sense of despair and depression. Like I've I've been there. The 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 idea of self harm as a as a way of venting, I guess, as a way of pr proving something. Uh, and and this this idea that you just want you just want to do something dramatic, something that makes an impact. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't really matter what it is. You're just so frustrated that you're you've got such meaninglessness in your life that you want to do something, even if it's something destructive. Yeah. Um. I I really identified with that. Well, that's it. You would never you would never self harm in a kind of traditional. I'm gonna hurt myself because I hate everything way. But I could completely see you self harming out of spite. That tracks. <laughs> I could completely see you like I could see you naming people in your suicide note. You know? Oh yeah. And yeah, then yeah. doing it just to kind of get at them rather than yeah. you actually wanted to kill yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um and, and that and yeah, I think, you know, he's the guy's obviously depressed and, and um in serious trouble and not getting the help that he needs. I'm not quite sure yeah. what the film was saying about that. Certainly he was finding no solace in religion. The only other thing he had was the pub, so Well, and his music and his art. That was what he was trying to find meaning in and yeah. He knew he wasn't going to ultimately, which is why he stopped himself being able to do it, give himself an excuse. Yeah. Well, that's like me. I deleted uh, the Facebook and Instagram apps off my phone because they were wasting <laughs> too much of my time this year. So I, I identified with, <laughs> with him on that level. That's the same thing, isn't it, Alan? That's... And have you produced any music? No, but um, I've been using ChatGPT to make music <laughs> on my behalf. <laughs> I think it's a film I'm definitely going to have to revisit at some point in the future and um, analyse a little deeper. I, I've settled on a seven, 7 out of 10 rating at the moment just because I'm not quite sure where else to go with it. Okay. Uh, but I, I, I feel like this is something I could appreciate more or I could watch it again and go, you know, I'm not finding the depth here that I want and um, yeah. I'm, not getting, I'm, the same. I'm not getting enough out of this. I'm the same, because I must admit, I came away kind of unsure of what the ultimate point of the film is supposed to be as yeah. well. And it's at the backdrop of the Civil War, which I, 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 you know, perhaps I just don't know about the politics of the era, but I don't know what that was adding, apart oh, from I think, sense of isolation. Or... I think that was very relevant. It's a mirror to the conflict, isn't it, I think? it's it, There's a conflict going on, and Colin Farrell, uh, what's Colin Farrell's character called? Patrick. He's caught in this conflict with Brendan Gleeson, and he doesn't really understand it, and he doesn't really know why they're fighting, but it's still, like, affecting his life, and I think the Civil War backdrop was just a mirror to that. It, again, he doesn't understand why these people are fighting, but they are fighting, and off in the distance, it is affecting life on this island in one way or another. And I, I suspect if you were to really analyse the film, that you would find many cases of conflict, uh, such as uh, Barry Curran and uh, his dad and that sort of thing where, you know, it, it's not really, there's not really a point to the conflict it just is and I, mm. I feel like if I were to really dig deep into this film watch it again, it would all kind of align it didn't feel arbitrary to me at all. It is the kind of thing that I, I, I am also uh, similar I've, I've seen it just the once and I would like to see it a second time. I think I might like it even more on a second viewing. I, there is an awful lot going on in it. It's the kind of thing that I'm, I want to... 
you know, hear so many people's thoughts about it. And I did go down a rabbit hole of listening to YouTube reviews of it because I was just kind of fascinated to hear how people interpret certain things. I think there's a lot open to interpretation in it. There is this... I, I want to say supernatural streak running through it, where mm. there's this sort of old crone who lives on the island, and I think at a couple of points she might even be referred to as a witch. And the, yes, the film is yes. very... It's not its not going to outright say that there is a, you know anything supernatural going on, but there are just a few moments in it, and I don't want to spoil anything about how it ends. I, I want She predicts I things that, that come to pass uh, without... And, and I do wonder how her interjection in things like changes there is a line at at one point or another i can't remember the exact nature of it but i think colin farrell says something about the gods just like laughing at us with our little you know problems or something and then there is a shot later on in the film where she's observing and it very much seems like that's trying to draw some parallel um Mm. there's a really haunting shot where kerry condon just before the scene that we talked about with her and barry um and uh there is just a shot from uh, where Kerry Condon is of this old woman just beckoning her across the lake, uh, mm-hmm. which is very chilling. And then I, I think that becomes relevant uh, to something that happens not long after that scene um, yeah. with Barry Keoghan's character. But I, I, I don't know. But there's things like that that I'm, I'm curious to revisit it to see sort of like, oh, does that hold up? To Does it mean kind of- anything or is it just some random shit thrown at a wall? Well... <laughs> Well, right. it yeah, felt. I, mean, I, I hate the word Shakespearean. I think it's completely misused by people. This felt Shakespearean to me. That, as as anyone who knows me well, that isn't necessarily a compliment from me. That's just a, <laughs> a statement. No, I, I think it was like more. It's a bit more like a, classic, classic, classic theatre, classic isn't it? Greek the, mythology and stuff yeah, like that, where yeah. there's a hmm. a kind of a, a an oracle and and yeah, um, yeah. It's all very portentous of things, or when an animal chokes on a thing, and you know. It's yeah. like all this Greek mythology kind of vibe. Um, yeah. Whether that really worked to to tell us anything, I'm not sure. But uh... I enjoyed it though. I liked it. Yeah. No. I mean, I I probably by the sounds of it, I found it the funniest out of all of us, and it probably helped that I was watching this over the Christmas break. I was off work. I was watching it with my stepmom, who imbruges her favorite film. She loves this, you know, sort of sense of humor. Uh, so we were just laughing uproariously throughout the whole thing. And that's not to say that I didn't think it was really quite profound in an awful lot of places, and that I didn't feel emotional. There is, you know, a, a bit with the donkey kind of later on that is sort of really <laughs> hilarious, but then sort of also very sad and sweet and all that. So um, I liked it. It, it. it was, it, it yeah, uh, provoked a lot of emotion from me. Um, and it's under two hours. It might well be the shortest of the Oscar films. Mm. I don't know. But um, yep, can't wait to see it a second time. I'm going to give it a nine out of ten. Um, but I think that wow. has the potential to go up to a 10. Um, I loved wow. this film. Wow. Hmm. I'm really annoyed because I've just realised that this running order that ChatGBT has generated is just the order I put the films in for it to generate the running order of. <laughs> so that's why you were like, this is a fantastic order. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just trusted my, my instincts. Um, but uh, it does say that uh, Top Gun Maverick is is uh, next. So Wait. should we should we dive in? Yeah, the <sighs> saved cinema did this film. You know, well, it, 
what happened to Spider-Man No Way Home? Eh? Everyone just forgot that happened, did they? The... Mm. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yep. Why is why is this at the Oscars and Spider-Man No Way Home isn't? Tom Cruise. Spider-Man No Way Home made more money, for the record. That's what we're going off of. Uh, when did you guys see this one? I watched this uh, the day before yesterday, along okay. with the first Top Gun, which I'd never seen before. Hmm. Uh, Alan? Uh, I, I watched it at, when it was out in the cinemas, whenever that was. I did actually uh-huh. go and see this one. And I watched the I watched the original Top Gun as well as a kind of little refresher. I hadn't seen that in a while. Hmm. No, likewise. Um, I I think I'd seen the first one like years ago, like when I was like twelve or thirteen or something like oh that. Oh my so god! I... When did you realize you were gay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. It, it, there is. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I I saw it at the tail end of its uh, theatrical life, and uh, this was at the very end of sort of when it was you know coming out with all the five star reviews and whatnot. Um. And I I left the cinema quite underwhelmed. I think. Um, and then I rewatched the film um, over the Christmas holidays again, so maybe I was just in a fantastic mood, but I had a much better time with it the second time without the um, level of expectation there, because I think th- this was really being raved about at the time of its theatrical release, and I it, it doesn't do anything particularly special, dare I say, but what it does do, I think it does very well and competently, and perhaps that's what people were really responding to. Yeah, mm. I I agree with that. I I was not, I didn't go in with any great expectations, but it did exactly what I wanted it to. I felt like it had, it was doing justice to a, the previous film, which you know was a very very low bar. <laughs> okay, so he doesn't like the first one either. Okay, so no one likes the first one really, do they? Only people who grew <laughs> up in the eighties and don't have any sense of like discernment. Uh, like the first Top Gun, that's not a, contra- a controversial statement. That's like it's it's yeah, not regarded yeah. as a good film, is it? Yes. Yeah, Top Gun number mm-hmm. one. No, it isn't. Yeah. People love <laughs> it. No, it isn't. <laughs> it's iconic. Uh, I don't. People know if like it, good. but it's not. It's not like held up in the general consensus as like a particularly good film. But it has no in no reason to be. Neither should this. What is it doing at the Oscars? I agree. <laughs> I mean, at the yeah. end of the day, it's just a, a balls-out action film. It's done very well. And it's got some good old-fashioned physical stunts in it that we all appreciate in this day and age of computer-generation nonsense. Yeah, I think that's it. I think this is riding a backlash against CGI. don't know how ChatGPT feels about it. I'm going to ask. I think people are sick of the CGI sludge that your know, Marvel movies and the like have been kind of popularizing i think the reaction to this film is very much uh off the back of that wow they're actually flying airplanes for real um and it was cool that is very cool and you can tell yeah if, if you're eight years old it's really cool i get it no, I, it's, like, it is cool you see you're actually getting to see some proper stunt work and yeah, if you if you like watching airplanes fly around, if you if you go to the airport to watch the airplanes take off and land and think that was entertaining, then it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit different to that. Um, <laughs> Look, I I think the difference here is both of you obviously had enough interest in this film to watch it before it became an Oscar nominee. I didn't. I watched this because it was nominated mm. for the Oscars, and I'd never seen the first Top Gun either. And and that should probably give you an indication of just how little interest I have in it. Like aesthetically, 
the 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 kind of flyboy military thing. I, it's just so boring and dull. And and Top Gun One isn't regarded as a great film. It's regarded as like a cheesy, stupid relic from the eighties that people maybe have a, a nostalgia for, but in a kind of largely ironic way, I would say. Yeah, I re I, I watched Top Gun for the first time to set up this film. And I've I've been, you know, I've been following the discourse around Top Gun Maverick. I've listened to people talking about it in, you know, podcasts I listen to and stuff. They all love it. Um Top Gun I thought was dreadful, like really bad, but okay, I wasn't expecting a great film. I, I cannot stress, like I really did go into this expecting like an enjoyable enough thing to sit through. Um, I kind of thought it might be like Mission Impossible Fallout, which I thought was all right. I'm not. I'm definitely not as into those films as the the average person either. Um, but you know, I've kind of come round on them. I think they're okay. But I I just cannot stress how boring and dull it was to me. It it it's not particularly well written the the script is just like repeating the script from the first film but with like new characters as if that's somehow profound it's like right here's the volleyball scene here's the bar scene we're going through one by one um all the characters i have no interest in any of these characters because the first top gun is shit and i don't suddenly like <laughs> them now just because of nostalgia and i'm seeing them again that's not enough for me I don't care because it's Tom Cruise and he's getting old and there's a meta narrative running there. I'm not. I don't care. And I like Top uh, Tom Cruise. I should add. I I think he's a good movie star, but he he just did nothing for me here. Um, I couldn't get over the the soundtrack. Like the first film, obviously, is wall to wall, like absolute bangers. Um, <laughs> The music throughout Top Gun Maverick, it sounded like Do They Know It's Christmas was about to play every 10 seconds. Honestly, I couldn't. I, it was really distracting. The main theme for this movie doesn't hold it. Sorry, Calvin. Sorry, I know, I know. It it's doesn't Lady hold a, a can. It doesn't hold a candle to take my breath away or Danger Zone. <laughs> they're, they're very similar songs. Uh... And all the other songs on the soundtrack that were great were just like classic David Bowie songs that I already like and and I'm familiar with. The action was like, yeah, they're actually flying an aeroplane, but that largely amounted to, here's a static shot of the sky, and then a plane's going to whiz from left to right or right to left really quickly, and then we're just going to cut to like inside the cockpit and go, whoa, we're spinning round that's not dynamic and engaging to me. I would rather watch the the dogs in up flying their little airplanes. I know that's not real, but like you can actually do some interesting camera shots and show the thing moving in a more coherent way. I just 
I just I don't find something going from like point A to B interesting. And then I didn't think the effects were that remarkable because then whenever there was CGI, such as for the missiles chasing the planes, it actually looked really shit. It was really poor CGI, which then took me out of the reality of the situation because I was looking like, wow, look at this real practical effects were. Oh no, that's like blatant CGI there. So. I just found it so boring. I was just profound. It was profoundly dull, and it just felt like, yeah, planes go meow, brilliant. Also, at the start of the film, they repeat the uh, the whole thing from the first one. That today the Navy calls it fighter weapon school. The flyers call it Top Gun. Now that's kind of cool, I guess, in the first film, um, but they don't like account for the fact that it's not called Top Gun. So it says today the flyers call it Top Gun Maverick. They don't call it Top Gun Maverick, do they? stupid film. Also, to just get right, this is this is my issue with the writing in this film. Right, I'm going to choose one scene to pick apart, and it's like emblematic of how this film was for me in general. Okay, and then I'm going to stop complaining, and you can talk about how brilliant it is. <laughs> There's a scene early on where Tom Cruise is flying the plane, and he he gets it up to like Mach 10 or whatever the fuck, 10 something. That's the number. <laughs> and you go, wow, he got it up to 10. That's amazing. And then Tom Cruise goes, oh. Um, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it up to eleven, uh, and he blows up the plane. Yeah, he blows it up to the plane because it doesn't go up to eleven. And then we get like a really a really funny scene where oh look at me I'm Tom Cruise I'm going into a diner and I'm drinking water, and like everyone stops and looks at him like oh, and he just downs a glass of water and looks like oh, and like on paper funny great scene. But in reality, what's happened here is a man wearing a jacket has walked into a diner and everyone's looking at him like, what the fuck? They're treating him like he's a space alien. They haven't seen the aeroplane come down. They're just looking at a man drinking water. It doesn't make any sense on any real level. It doesn't hold together within the internal logic of what they're doing here. But people recognize enough of the kind of tropes and like cinematic language that they're just kind of glossing over it and going, yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And also, like, Marvel do that shit all the time, but then so many of the people, like, getting really into this film are, are, are disparaging of Marvel, on the other hand, and it's like, it's it's the same thing, but with practical effects. Great. I don't care about the visual. I, I guess I care more about the writing and the things. Oh my okay. god! It's such a conceited thing to say, particularly when you're just comparing it to Marvel and then saying, oh, the writing is what I care about. Like, it really? is. Marvel have I very, mean... you know, arguably workmanlike scripts, but the scripts, for the most part, tend to hold together relatively well. Like, they're, you know, and people complain about them a lot at the moment because of the CGI sludge. And I, I do understand that to a point, but. The same thing I had with Avatar 2. I need more than just visuals to carry me through something. That seasoning, you know? The bare no, sure, bones I... of the story here did nothing for me. I mean, I get that. Like, look, I'm... God, I, I mean, you say, you know, me and Alan are going to defend it. I don't think either of us are going to really be championing this as a, a, a great film, necessarily. Um, it's one that I really enjoyed a lot, particularly on the second go around and yeah like i'm not a marvel guy i i never really have been i think some of them are very good um but for, i'm certainly i just don't give a shit about them anymore and i think that a big part of this film's success is that it has just come out at the right time it is it's not a franchise that you know i don't think people do hold up that first top gun as any i think most people have seen it you've got an awareness of it 
I don't think anyone holds oh, it up as great cinema, and I think this one is an improvement in every sense. The overwhelming um, sentiment I've seen from people and heard from people is like, this film has no right being as good as it is, and you won't believe it. It's actually a good film. The, you know, it, it generally it always comes with no, no. Look, we all know the first film sucks. Um, mm, this yeah. one's still worth checking out. Yeah, and as I say, like I, I'm not on the you know five star bandwagon with this necessarily. I think it does what it does very well. I think that there is something quite exciting about seeing fighter jets and you know all of the aerial stunts that they do in this. It is quite impressive um and i guess like i say i think it did just come out at a good time when we're kind of overwhelmed with superhero franchises and all that kind of stuff and this one it has enough brand recognition tom cruise has been i feel like his star is rising uh every day it seems like people yeah. are very excited about his next mission impossible films and i think he does have a reputation now of being a real Oh, he does his own stunts, he's a madman, and all that kind of stuff. Do you I think, think he's that... destined for big things? <laughs> he's the Barry Keon of, of America. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the fact that, obviously, there is, you know, an emotional arc in this, a character story, whatever you want to call it, it's potboiler, certainly. Um, but the fact that they didn't try to do, you know, what a lot of franchises have been doing regarding killing the main hero and trying to go for something really profound and deep and all that when the vast majority of people turning up for this do just want to see Tom Cruise do some cool things and see planes fly around and the good guys mm. win and all that kind of stuff and I did appreciate it for that um, mm. that it, particularly on the second time, like I say, first time I was a little disappointed, I came out of the cinema uh, there's probably not going to be much in this distinction. I gave it a 7 out of 10 the first time I saw it. Second time I gave it 8 out of 10. Which is, a you know, it's a significant enough bump, I think. Because I, I, I did, I just, you know, I, I enjoyed myself. Um, it's just a bit of, you know, pop, gum, thrill. Something. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I agree. I, I, I enjoy the first Top Gun. It is nonsense, It's but it's it's and it's very of its time. It's kind of 80s nonsense. And this just feels like a bit of a flashback to that. It's just a little a little snatch of some action-y nonsense. I don't, I don't need it to break the rules. I don't need it to particularly do anything special. It, it did it well. I, I, I have no idea why it's even in the... I mean, fair enough, like, visual effects and sound or whatever Oscars, but, like, best picture? I don't know what it's doing there, but it's a very solid, just flat 7 out of 10 film. Can I ask, because you both really ragged on uh, All Quiet on the Western Front uh, last episode because of both feeling that it doesn't have a place in why make it now, why make it mm -hmm. here, what's the point of doing it now. Mm -hmm. Can I extend that to this? Like, Why why do you feel that Top Gun Maverick um, is relevant in today? Why make this? I mean, personally, I'm of the opinion that it doesn't really... A film doesn't need to... <laughs> justify existing within a certain time but just to kind of yeah uh no sure i mean sentiment forward i mean for, for, for me anyway like like i said i don't think it's you know comparable in that sense uh but i think clearly top gun maverick came out at the right time um it did gangbusters at the box office and people really loved it and responded to it well yeah but you could say that about 
All Quiet on the Western Front, which uh, won Best Picture at the BAFTAs since we recorded the previous episode, and uh, uh, I, I'm, know, I'm talking very well regarded by. I'm, I'm talking more financial, um, you know, bums on seats kind of. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think what, the difference is here. The, the difference is All Quiet on the Western Front has a message, has something to say, and that message is ninety years old. Top Gun doesn't have anything to say. It's just, look mm. at these planes. Top Gun has no aspiration to be anything special. I don't know why it's in this mm. conversation. but yeah. uh, Save cinema. Yeah. That's, that annoys me as well, because there is this weird... This is the film that's being championed for saving cinema. Uh, never mind that Spider-Man No Way Home came out before, made more money, came out in a more difficult time when like people were still actually hesitant about returning to cinemas post-COVID. Like, what Spider-Man did was remarkable. Never mind that Avatar 2 has since come out after this and made significantly more money. And... So, so. Go on. Go on. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what's different, because the people who went to see Spider-Man coming home, they, <laughs> they, they go to the cinema anyway. The people who go to see Top Gun Maverick are the people who had stopped going to the cinema. That's the mm. Okay. What about Avatar That's 2? That's true. Probably the same, I would say. Anyway, it's clearly getting... Um... Yeah, but people aren't championing that for saving cinema in the same way either. It's made it's more crap. money again. <laughs> Avatar: The Way of Water is the third highest-grossing film of all time. It's still playing. Yeah, but it's because everyone everyone's gone to see it and go, "That's this is crap. I'm not going to cinema anymore." So <laughs> well, they're not. I, I think that people are loving Avatar too. Actually, um, I'd say about as much as they're loving Top Gun. Maybe not quite, but, you know, let's look. Avatar 2 has 7.8 out of 10 on IMDb at the moment. Yeah, but, yeah, but by the time... also been nominated for Best Picture Oscar. Yeah, but people aren't saying it saved cinema in the same because time. Because cinema has already been saved by the time Avatar 2 came out, yeah. you see. By Spider-Man! So yeah, Spider-Man <laughs> saved over- it! You're overlooking Tom Cruise element here. He, he went out... <sighs> he went out onto the streets and saved cinema. <laughs> Not St- Steven Spielberg sat in his bedroom and f- recorded a 30-second message telling us thanks for going to the cinema. Tom Cruise went out there. He was knocking on doors. Mm, I shook Co- his hand. I believe Tom Cruise actually did also record a message, didn't he, before this film in the cinema? That's what I've heard. Is that not the case? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know. Maybe that was but just America. The point is, he was minibussing people to the cinemas. Remember his video where he went to watch Tenet? And then they filmed him watching Tenet with like a big grin uh, through his mask. And then at the end, he stood up going, I loved it! And it was. <laughs> You're thinking of that Shia most... LaBeouf video. <laughs> 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 I think you've mixed them. Uh, look, I, I, I just found this film so dull and I resent being made to watch it. Um, I well, give that's it how I feel about. 10. 80% yeah, of the films know, we've watched on this podcast. The the only reason I'm not like viscerally like angry and seething about <laughs> Top Gun Maverick is because of the next film we're about to discuss, Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> You're saving yourself. <laughs> Brilliant. Go on then. Elvis. Yeah, go off on one. <laughs> what is this? What? Right, okay, here's where to start, right? We covered Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story on this podcast a while ago. Walk Hard came out in 2007. It was at the point of its release in 2007. Something of a like low-hanging fruit, obvious parody of the music biopic genre. It was directly taking off from Walk the Line more than anything, but you know it was drawing on a number of films, and it nailed it. It was pitch perfect. This film could be 
the film that Walk Hard was making fun of. It, mm. it exists um, 15 years after the fact. Other than the lack of jokes, this is indistinguishable from a parody of what it's doing. And there are things in this film that like could be misread as an attempt at comedy, uh, such mm. as Tom Hanks, whatever the hell he thinks he's doing. <laughs> So that's my first point here. Does anyone else want to talk about this film for a bit? I mean, I got exactly what I expected from a Baz Luhrmann film. Just a load of flashy nonsense that means nothing, has no has no integrity whatsoever, yeah. has nothing to it, say. It's, it's cut together like a three-hour trailer. It, and it, it's ex- <laughs> excruciatingly hard work to watch a three-hour trailer. There's no, there's no on-ramp to get like emotionally invested. It, it's just... Like at no point, I never felt like I was even, yeah, intended by the filmmakers to be like emotionally investing in anyone until like halfway through the film when suddenly you're meant to care about Elvis, who isn't the protagonist of the film in the first half is Tom Hanks, Colonel Tom Parker, and then halfway through the film's like, oh shit, no, sorry, it's about Elvis, it's about Elvis. Sorry, <laughs> well that was no, it is about thing. Elvis. I... I was trying to figure out, have, have they edited this to shit? I know Baz Luhrmann does that anyway. But has they edited this to shit to get around the principal actor not really having anything going on? Okay, well, that's another thing. I mean, he's now, Austin Butler is now inching forwards. He's sort of, he, I think he's currently at the time of recording neck and neck on the polls with the bookies for winning uh, best lead actor here. Uh, alongside Brendan Fraser in The Whale. Hmm. I've got a feeling he's going to do it, he's going to win. Can we stop the Like, again, like, what's his name? He won fucking Freddie Mercury role, like, for oh, just Rami turning Malik. up and yeah. pr- lip-syncing, no, pretending I, to I, sing. I, I think I, I disagree. What's his name? It was I think that was a very <laughs> solid performance, the emotional levels that he It was fine. Doing, like, so I haven't really got a problem with that. But in this, yeah, well, it was better than Elvis. Yeah, Austin Butler turns up here and goes, "Oh, oh, oh well, my name's Elvis. Oh, where my, where my peanut butter sandwich? The nasty rat dog." The emotional scenes he's required to do are such kind of broad emotional strokes that it's not even particularly. Yeah, he pulls some sinks off the wall. I think at one point. Yeah, there's nothing interesting or special about it. It's just. Look, hang on. Before Elvis goes on stage and performs, he has to have a flashback of his entire life leading up until this moment. <laughs> it's, it's nonsense. The, the Oscars are just shite now. And I know they always have been, but I just can't do that anymore. It's just, it's all bollocks. If this is getting nominated for stuff, if Austin Butler is being nominated for this performance, then it's meaningless. It all, it's all meaningless. I felt much the same way about Bohemian Rhapsody, which also had no place being at the Oscars because it was it was a bad film, badly made but I, this is worse. But I think the one thing it had was a really good central performance Yeah, I do think Rami Malek was massively bolstered by people who didn't understand that he was lip syncing for like the vast majority of that film I think a lot of people thought he was actually singing, I think that is, you know, part of why he got votes for that film. But yeah I think Elvis is like it's bad. It's the same thing, but like again, you know, the writing. I, I just, I need to face facts. People don't give a fuck about writing. General audiences don't care. I'm the only one who seems to give a shit. That's that's my most important thing in a film. 
there's no story here. Like, mm. like I say, Colonel Tom Parker is set up at the start as the protagonist. You get Tom Hanks narrating it. Or will I tell you, I'm a Tom Hanks... I can't even begin to approximate whatever voice he was trying to do. Um, <laughs> I looked... I looked up Colonel Tom Parker, and he's, like, Dutch, and then trying to pretend to be from, like, Louisiana. Now, a good filmmaker might just chuck a seed in at the start where someone goes, Hey, that's a pretty fruity voice you got on there, pal. Oh, well, yeah, you know, he's uh, he's from, uh, you know. They might just explain that or call it out or something. But, no, here we're just dropped in. Tom Hanks is giving yet another, like, questionable performance all of a sudden from this year. Never seen a bad performance from Tom Hanks before, but this year we had Elvis, we had Pinocchio. You know what? He was he was mm. good in Pinocchio. He was given terrible material to work with. I think he's actually bad in this film. Um, mm. Anyway, my point is, he is the protagonist of the film. The film is told from his perspective. And I'm okay with that. I've seen a lot of takes of, why would you make a film and call it Elvis and make it about his manager? Well, why not? Like you, you want it's a good in to understand the man from afar. You know, like, I think that's because a good he's a, approach. The, you know, the man who created Elvis. In, in yeah, the, you know, makes sense. I think that's a good approach. But then halfway through the film, probably more than halfway through, it's like 70 percent of the way through, they just kind of forget about Colonel Tom Parker. He stops narrating the film, and Elvis suddenly becomes your your protagonist, and it's all from his perspective. And it treats it like we've been following him from his perspective from the beginning, but we've seen nothing at this point to like give insight into who he is, why he is the way he is, why he feels the way he does. So you end up with no character having any sort of arc. You end up with nothing resembling a story or structure. You you just have a sequence of events that uh, all kind of take place. And like the excuse for that would normally be, well, it's based on real life. Real life isn't well structured. But they they make shit up in this film. Like there's completely manufactured stuff that never happened. Elvis never laid into Colonel Tom Parker in a drunken tirade while he was on stage. That's completely manufactured for the sake of giving this film like a dramatic point. So if you're gonna make stuff up, make stuff up. Make a story. Give us a a, a fully formed, structured like thing. I honestly I was. <sighs> I, I was furious. Hate it. Also, the <laughs> editors, right, throughout this film, uh, with its glossy, amazing editing, because it's Baz Luhrmann, the editors keep doing this thing, and this speaks to the performance, I think, from Austin Butler. They keep doing this thing of cutting in real-life archive footage of Elvis whenever there's like a little montage or a, a quick cut. And I think it's meant to make you think, like, wow, look, he is just like him. He is just like Elvis. He's turned into him. But I don't know about you, but like for me, it didn't blur reality at all. Every time the real Elvis appeared, it was just completely abrupt and incongruous. And I was like, yeah, that's Elvis. And now I can see even more that Austin Butler is not Elvis. Mm. It's just a completely superficial, oh, oh, well, oh, I'll tell you what, Colonel Tom Parker, I think you're a real piece of shit. He, should, he doesn't say that in the film. That <laughs> I would love to know what Baz Luhrmann's sort of process is, because, that, like, I, I wonder if a, a part of the... Because you know, I agree, Sol, I think it is very jarring that half of the film is from Tom Hanks' perspective, and then all of a sudden it switches over to Austin Butler, and I do wonder if he 
does just kind of find the films in the editing room or tries yeah. to find them anyway because <laughs> at, at, at a point it does become like I was trying to uh, make a mental note of like in any one scene there were never like two shots from the same camera setup and it's uh, and that that just gives it that whole trailer sort of montage style because mm. it, it's never sort of going back to a you can never really get into a good um individual rhythm of a scene because it's just every shot is a different you know angle a different perspective or whatever and no sense of geography or where anything yeah. is now on a, I, it sounds like i'm going to be the most positive about this film and i'm not that positive about it overall but on a pure sensory level and i think i've said this on this podcast before i can be quite happy watching pretty images and listening to music that i like for a certain time i can watch kyanis katsy uh that philip philip glass score and just have a perfectly nice time with this film i found that my limit is 90 minutes <laughs> and after that i need something more and this yeah. is a bloody long film and i i did really enjoy the soundtrack there's some insane stuff going on like it, uh, there was an elvis song to set to it was like elvis lyrics to uh britney spears toxic which was a really strange there were so many times i was like what is that and then i looked it up and it's like oh wow that's really you know there's a lot of um anachronistic stuff going on with the soundtrack which i thought was um interesting and i i i yeah, actually thought I actually thought Austin Butler was really good with what he was given to do here. Uh, I believed he was Elvis, and maybe that speaks to the fact that I don't know him from much, because he is very much a Disney mm. Channel star who's sort of hit big with this. You don't know this. about the Disney Channel? <laughs> I think that uh, a big part of why he's getting so much tension for this is that he did... I don't know if he went full method with this or what, but there were some interviews that he was doing long after shooting and he still had traces of this accent in there because he just kind of embodied Elvis for the god-awful long shooting um, schedule that this film had. Uh, and I think he's getting a lot of kudos and props for you know, from industry people about the amount of effort he put into this. Um, but I don't feel like I ever got much of a deep dive into Elvis himself with this, I guess, because it's also surface level and the conflicts that he goes through are very, okay, he's got different ideas from his manager, his, you know, parent dies or whatever. It's it, it, it's all very like, okay, I, you know, familiar territory. Um, and I don't know if this had a particularly fresh perspective on it, and that can be fine if there's enough going on, but I just became a bit too overwhelmed with the montage when it starts hitting the card. What is it, like two and a half hours, two hours, 40 minutes, something ridiculous like that. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to give this a six. I'm just going to get my rating out there now, um, and I have a feeling I'm probably going to be the most positive one out of all of us, but um, yeah, that's me. Well, actually, I mean, I I give it a six as well, actually. I, I... No. I've been very negative, but um, yeah, it's just as to experience it, it was sort of like, oh, okay, there's ele there's things here to watch and whatever. But yeah, the more I analyze it, the less uh, I like it. I was curious, is there any was there any pushback on the whole... Like Elvis's career was based on the fact that, look, people like black music, but we need a white boy to sing it. Yeah, That's, that's entirely what Elvis is. But in this yeah. film, they seem to go to great lengths to go, oh, no, look how well he's he's part of the community and they love him. They love that he does their songs. You know what made me realise that? 
Calvin, because I'd heard for years the idea that Elvis just stole like black musicians' music and what they were doing, and I never quite got it when I was a kid. And then mm. one day I realised, um, and I'm telling you this, Calvin, specifically, I think you'll appreciate, I, I really listened to, um, you know, if you want to sing Oogie Boogie's song from The Night Before right. Christmas, you know, right. the bit, uh, if you aren't shaking, there's something very wrong. It's that bit yeah. where he does that. I was like, oh my God, that's Elvis. Elvis is ripping off black people. <laughs> <laughs> and it all clicked into place for me. Ah. Oogie Boogie, of course, voiced by a black man. I should clarify for anyone unaware. But it really felt like they were desperately trying to kind of whitewash that element of it in this film. And it, it didn't sit very nicely with me. I don't know about that. I, I think the film fully engages with that. Um... But then it kind of it kind of brings it up so that it can dismiss it almost. But I was surprised that mm-hmm. they, I was surprised they even got into it. You know, you you have, you have one of your hundreds of montages. You have the the people looking at Elvis and being like, there, "There's a bit, isn't it? There's an implied N word in this film, isn't there? A bit where someone's like, he's dancing like a god dang, and then it like cuts to the next scene and and stuff like oh, that. Oh yes, yeah. I I think I think the film is sort of quite upfront really, with like, yeah, look, he, he was kind of packaging. In fact, isn't that what Colonel Tom Parker says? It's kind of like, look, we need someone who can perform this music, and, you know, I think I think uh, arguably the, the issue is that the film tries to play it almost like Elvis was like a uh, you know, fighting for the right, he was trying to bring black music into the culture to like give black people a platform, and I, I don't know to what extent that is disingenuous. Um, maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe Elvis was a very forward-thinking and, and, and progressive guy on that front and did do a lot for black rights. I don't know, but my guess is that he probably he didn't, and this film's sort of trying to paint it like he was a, you know, a, a, a more meaningful figure in that regard. But I, I, I did think the film engaged with it uh, certainly a lot more than I was expecting. Elvis is just like, some, someone came up to me and go, Elvis, we've got this song for you, sing this. All right, I'll sing it. And then he sang it. That's it. Yeah. Elvis didn't give a shit about any of anything. He just did what he was told, and then went and lived yeah. in his big fat mansion. And, <laughs> yeah, shot himself to death. I did think it was quite funny that bit where it's supposed to be Elvis. I didn't realize this was going to be like you know all of Elvis's life, pretty much. Um, and there's that bit where they're like, "Oh, he's eating too much," and then it goes <laughs> to Austin Butler as Elvis. Really, he's eating too much? Like, <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, they really don't go there with the. They don't put him in a. I don't think they put him in a fat suit. If they did, it's not a very good one. I couldn't tell. No. They, they yeah. sprayed some water on him to make him look sweaty. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they, I must admit, they did a great job making him look sweaty as fuck. But they had to match the actual footage of Elvis at the end that they played. Where he looked, <laughs> oh my god, so sweaty. There's also there's just an air hanging over this that Elvis impersonating is like such a thing. Do you know what I mean? It's like I I just I feel like if you're gonna if you're gonna win an Oscar for Elvis impersonating, it it just needs to be, it needs to be impeccable. Do you know what I mean? And I I think like Austin Butler is kind of just doing, like it's fine, but I don't know. I feel like you could plop any actor in there with like minimal prep time, and and they kind of come out doing a, hey, oh, 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 oh Gracie, oh. <laughs> I don't know. It's just. <laughs> It's just, it's just so basic stuff. <laughs> At least Tom Hanks was like trying to invent a new accent. You know, he was doing something interesting. <laughs> he was doing something, yeah. Oh, I'm going to, going to know to be your manager there, Elvis. Come on, <laughs> down. 
to the circus. He <laughs> was a kind of Louisiana kind of former Dutch kind of war. I, yeah, the fact that I think neither, none of us can even come close to <laughs> conveying what his voice in this film is like. Now, I don't know nothing about music, but I could see in that girl's eyes he was a taste of forbidden fruit. I thought it was supposed to be Hungarian at first, or some kind of Eastern European mixed with Irish, and then it... Yeah, well, it's deliberate. It's because t- t- Colonel Tom Parker's background was so mysterious, like you can't tell what it is. It's like Tommy Wiseau's accent. He's Dutch. <laughs> He's Dutch. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what they say. Uh, well, he didn't get the Oscar nomination, did he? Oh, they should have got. They should have got Tommy Wiseau to play Colonel Tom Parker. They oh, should get him to present yeah. the Oscar, like in in makeup and character, accent. like when Ali G <laughs> went up there. Uh, they should have got him to present the whole ceremony. It's fucking Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> Bullshit. Mm. You gonna watch the Oscars this year, guys? Nope. No. No. I think it's a waste of time. They're screening it at a local cinema near me, and I bought a ticket because I just that's gonna be an, an utterly surreal. A load of people are gonna go into the cinema at midnight and watch the the Oscars till four a.m. and I don't know mm. cheer. I I don't know. It's gonna be very weird. But I thought okay. Anyway, I hated Elvis. I thought it was awful. I think I think the fact that it's nominated here is everything wrong with the Academy Awards. Like encapsulated, yeah. it, it just it, it made me so angry. Um, I give it a four out of ten, but like that doesn't accurately represent how much I hated it. You know, mm. it, it's, that's me trying to be vaguely objective. And I was going to say that seems you know not not unreasonable. I I thought you were going to go down into like two territory. Yeah, well, that's how I feel about it. <laughs> anyway, we're, we're past the worst of it. We're over the hump. Women talking. Here we go. You know, I'm so in favour of women talking that I couldn't help but notice that uh, this film didn't pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> <laughs> I should uh, make it clear for listeners, this is the one film that I haven't seen this episode. Um... So I, I will a be shame, because and... I would like to hear what you have to say. I know. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, really I think we said it off, was my, uh, off record, but I do, gen- Calvin, I really don't think you would like this film. Hmm. Yeah, I'm curious to hear why. I think you would think it was boring and hard work. Although, I don't know, because I, I find, um, what would you call this kind of setting? This sort of religious colony, a bit Amish, a bit olden times? Is there a word for that? Um... No. Because <laughs> whatever it is, I find it just such a boring, uninteresting aesthetic, you know? Um, mm. The same way that I quite like uh, the aesthetics of ancient Egypt in a film, or a good western or something. I just find it so off-putting when you get into these kind of Amishy. I just find it so boring. Um, and I think that's a big part of why I really don't like The Happening, for example. Um, which you, you think of the like, village, Calvin. Sorry, I do mean the village. I do mean the village. Hmm. Um, no, no, I do like the village. It's probably the only M Night Shyamalan film I'd, um, yeah, sight is really liking. Have you seen Knock at the Cabin, Calvin? Uh, no, I haven't yet. I'll be. I'm not going to the mm. cinema to see it. I'll um, see it when it's on uh, some kind of home I mean, platform. I'm, very, I'm looking forward to seeing what you make of that. I could see you quite liking yeah. Knock at the Cabin. Um, I want to discuss women talking because. I haven't managed to talk to anyone who else has seen it, and I I didn't enjoy it watching it. And I the more I think about it, the less I like about it. And mm. 
I can't quite settle on why. I think. Well, I I, I have some issues yeah. with it straight away. First of all, it's not it's not a film. It's not a narrative. It's a it's a rhetorical dialogue. It's it's like a, a philosophical tract, it, really. It, it it feels like the pitch meeting to get funding when we're going to do twelve angry women. Uh, yeah, and they went. Yeah, Ooh, yeah. tell me more. And they went, and they didn't have any more. Yeah, it's a it's a response to the uh, Me Too movement. And they went, oh, okay, definitely, we'll go for that. And I understand that because on paper, I I didn't know anything really about this going in. I knew it was vaguely about some women in a colony complaining about men. I knew it was a kind of Me Too flavored film. I knew the title. Uh, that was about it. So when I when I settled into it, and I don't know, twenty minutes in, it was like, oh, it's all gonna be women talking. Oh, it's doing like a Twelve Angry Men. It's gonna be this conversation for the whole film. Yeah, yeah. I'm on. I'm all right with that. I actually really like that as a premise, but it it just wasn't. Twelve Angry Men is a like furiously engaging film it's so entertaining it's so like there's peaks and valleys and you go on a journey with these characters and there's you know arcs and changes and women talking is um well i'm just gonna i'm gonna read my letterbox review verbatim here uh it is a dull slow march towards an uninteresting inevitable conclusion like you know you know there's one of two outcomes at the end um, unless they do something to surprise you. But there's one of two obvious outcomes. The one I would have guessed that they pick is the one they pick. Well, there's one of two outcomes because they're literally what they're talking about is which one of these two things they're going to do. The problem is they decide which one they're going to do about 20 minutes in, and then it's just about how they're going to put it together. And there's value to be had from this discussion. I think it could be, yeah. it could be interesting. It needed a lot more conflict. It needed more voices, uh, different voices. And that was part of my problem. This it felt this felt like it felt like it should have been made forty years ago. It, it oh it's... that one again that old complaint again. Oh why are they making it now? But this is this is women talking. It's a bunch of uh, women who are all the same. They've got the same background. They've got the same yeah. circumstances. They've got the same social uh, positions. They are the the they are the they are not all the women of this community. They are the women of these three families that were chosen to represent the community, um, and they're making decisions for everyone else. There I didn't is... even quite gather that at the start that like these were just representative. Because then at the end, when you see like all the women, I was like, "Fucking hell, it's massive! It's loads of them. Yeah. There's only eight people talking about it, and two of them are kids." It felt very non-representative, and it felt very non-intersectionalist. These are all white women of this very specific community. So how do I? How do we read anything bigger of that? That that it's supposed to reference the outside yeah. world? Is this a metaphor for something bigger? Because it doesn't work. So anyone who hasn't seen it, such as you, Calvin, basically it's these this weird Amish-esque religious colony. These people who it's it's set in modern day. Twenty ten. It's set. Okay, I was going to say there's there's flashes of modern technology. Why is it set in 2010? What's that about? Is there a I don't know. It's that? very specific. We have one outsider comes in and he goes, "Hello, I'm doing the 2010 census. I've come to see who you are," and that and then he goes away again. So it's a very sort of obvious way of trying to make it look. This is the date. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Uh, so they're in this colony, but it turns out that the men of the colony have been abusing and raping these women for ever and blaming it on 
ghosts, demons, the devil, many things like that. I think they, they use cow tranquilizers, did they say on them? And then, you know, the women wake up with, you know, bruises and marks and things. Uh, and, and pregnancies. Uh, oh, pregnancies, yeah. And essentially one of the younger girls woke up like as one of the boys was trying to like do something and saw him and chased him off so it's it's all come out they've realized what's been going on and so now the men have gone to pay bail in the big city because one of the men was like arrested for it is that right alan am i remember well a group a group of a group of men that they think are responsible were arrested and so the rest of the men every single man in the community apart from ben wishaw have gone to bail them out ben wishaw's not exactly part of the community though is he? he's sort of yeah. a, 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 an independent There's something uh, a bit different about him and then when the, the men have said we're off to get those people who abused you and we're bringing them back and when we bring them back you have to forgive them or you're in trouble uh, you're yeah, you won't into get heaven. into heaven. And so this is like, this the discussion is, do we just accept this is our lot and we're pieces of shit? Or do we fight back? And in this case, fighting back means walking away, which is a big statement because they know that the men cannot live without them. <laughs> They're deciding between fighting back and like physically, I think, fighting back and like... Yeah, which to... I never quite understood what that would mean. Um, yeah, and, and they they're, they're really deciding between that or leaving. Uh, and walking away and ultimately they decide to leave but you know that, that comes with a whole load of questions along the lines of should we have to leave um yeah. what will we do who says where we go will be any better can we take the boys with us the young kids with us well maybe they'll grow into the same problem you know th there's all these interesting things that come with that but yeah i, I just i never felt like it really it felt yeah more like a logistical uh, discussion rather than a, a broad yeah. a broader discussion on the actual issues but there's some interesting things coming up about the the way they talk about how the men that are doing these things they were our boys we raised them we brought them up yeah. in this community we taught them these things we taught them this was okay um and 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 that sort of uh, that sense of communal responsibility and right okay so we have to take responsibility to change it uh, we we can't just be victims we have to we have to be instrumental in change as well yeah really interesting things and and i think as a discussion it was quite interesting but again it felt just like a, a rhetorical dialogue rather than any real narrative to it and it felt like it was losing yeah. the the bigger picture in these fine details i can't remember the last time i watched the film where i really became consciously aware of this but it felt like the thing of oh all these characters are talking with the same voice you can tell this is one writer writing all of these characters you know yeah. and yeah. i think there's maybe three distinct personalities within the eight women who were mm. talking there, there's two of them i could not tell apart whatsoever i exactly just, looked exactly the same there's a lot of overlap there um yeah. and it's not helped by the fact that they're all dressed the same and look similar and then we've got ben wisher in the mix who is he's an outsider from the community isn't he? he He he's like he was in the community his family got uh excommunicated essentially for questioning their ways mm. but he comes back, come back to teach the kids and work as a teacher there but he's been out in the real world he's had an education yeah and this was this was another problem that 
we're seeing this isolated community and then but then they're going to go out into the bigger world and it's something different so again how is this metaphorically representing our our world and like the me too movement and we want to discuss that it felt like it was a a step away and as soon as god enters into the discussion it's an invalid argument and it's kind of a pointless <laughs> discussion at that point well god will look after us so it's okay <laughs> but also they're 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 talking about like packing up all their carts and their chickens and go they're talking about it like the oregon trail but it's 2010 they're gonna they're gonna go like I don't know, half an hour, an hour down the road. I guess it's horse and cart, so it's going to take a while. But they're going to go and they're going to hit a fucking Walmart and be like, you know, it's 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 not... It's just a very weird... And I get it. They, they have no concept of outside and what the world is like. But the film never even kind of engages with that. And it just kind of plays it like they're going out on an expedition and... At the beginning as well, it seeds in at the beginning, like what's happening and what's been going on. Yeah. It doesn't quite just tell you mm. out front. And even that, I was thinking, is this is this supposed? I'm supposed to be taking this literally? Is this a is this mm. some kind of surreal yeah element that is representing evil, um, or 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 our or you know the evil of men in that in this sense? And I wasn't quite sure how much of it I was supposed to take literally. And then the further it goes, it goes, oh no no, this is literal, and and it just then it just didn't quite add up. Hmm. It superficially it reads as like very well shot, good cinematography. I don't know if you kind of took that away, Alan. Um, I came away thinking like, yeah, well done. They know how to use a camera. Yeah, simply shot, simple stuff. I, I've read a few deeper analyses of that that really get into like no actually the blocking is awful you know things like that that i wouldn't necessarily think about when i when i look at cinematography i'm generally looking at you know lighting lens choices when there's a bunch of people in a room i did lose the geography of it sometimes yeah who yeah and all that so so i think maybe it isn't as like technically proficient as it perhaps needs to be to say it is just people talking for the most part yeah it's not visually engaging is it and it's overly long. It's very slow. So yeah, I mean, I, 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 I kind of was excited to settle into this film. I was expecting to enjoy it a lot more than I did. And I just, and I didn't even dislike it at the start. It was just that thing of as the runtime runs on, I slowly start to lose my goodwill towards it. And that gets eked away. And by the end of it, I ended up at a six out of 10, which is, you know... Right. Well, I think that there's, a, there's more issues here. Like, the, for example, there's one... One character is pregnant through a rape, and she, she has no idea really who the father is. But um, and and so that comes up in discussion where someone's like, "Well, what about you know you you've, you're pregnant with your an attacker's child? How could you keep that child?" And she was like, "Oh, I already love this baby more than life itself is the most important thing in my life." Like, all right, we're not having that discussion then. Should is abortion <laughs> good for you know in in cases of rape? Yeah, yeah no, we're not going to have that discussion. Forget that one. Why even have that element in the film if you're not yeah. going to talk about it properly? Because they, they do. There's also a flashback to someone who um, was made pregnant by her brother, and obviously the the baby didn't survive past birth. So they kind of they sort of engage with the idea already. And then this yeah again there's this non representational. There's a transgender character who is oh, yeah. literally silent. The transgender is not that allowed to be part of the conversation. 
Or, There's a but trans then I don't know if they were trying to Calvin. say something that about mm. about that the trans men are excluded from this conversation. Uh, or, you know, someone who had been attacked as a woman and has now become a but man. But he isn't because he is ultimately a character who didn't go with the other men into town. They are, they are, the community does not see that person as a man, certainly. Exactly. Uh, and there's kind of a big moment where one one of them refers to him by his male name, and he's happy about that, you know. And, yeah. But I don't know. I don't know what that was trying to say. It just felt. Yeah. Like it just doesn't. In. It just feels like an element dropped in for the sake of it. Like someone said, "Oh, it'd be really interesting if you explored this," and well, then don't explore it. Yeah. And then it was written by ChatGBT, so they sort of went, <laughs> "Okay, we'll put that in there, but don't actually know how to explore it now that it's <laughs> in there." Hey, Calvin. Um, mm. You know, you know, Frances McDormand is in this film. Yes, she's one of the producers as well, I believe. Ah, well, you fell for the hype because she's not in it. Uh, oh, she... I didn't know. She, I didn't know she was in it. I, I, I saw uh, her name in the producer credits at the end and went, oh, and then I was like, oh yeah, that was her, was it, for that one shot? Oh shit, well, she's on the poster. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. She's on the poster. You. I've only seen the poster of two women's hands yeah. being held and together. And Frances McDormand in, at the end of the credits. No, she does. She does play a role in it, but it is a ca- it is very much a cameo. Yeah. Um, oh. A bit of a misleading poster. I gave this five out of ten, and I'm, I'm unsure about the whole thing, frankly. I, I'd love to talk to someone who could really go, "Oh no, this is what it was saying," and and actually, this is why this bit happened, and this is why this was important, and and convince yeah. me. But um, I am unconvinced as, as it stands. Hmm. Eh. Good acting, I guess. Though not up for any acting awards, and and I probably wouldn't cite any one specific performance as being awards worthy. So it's not even like I certainly a... wouldn't cite Austin Butler as award worthy either. So that mean <laughs> well, anything that's true. It. That is very true. I would sooner put uh, Ben Wisher up than Austin Butler. I must say, Women Talking does seem like, and I, I think you know, a part of the reason why I've not seen either this or Avatar: The Way of Water is partly because I don't think either of them have a you know a bat in hell's chance of um, actually winning. Um, no. But but this is the one that the bat, I bats do quite well in hell, don't they? <laughs> I think Women Talking oh, okay. has more chance than Triangle of Sadness. Oh really? I don't. Um, I don't agree with that. Really? From 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 what you from the conversation you guys had, it sounds like it is a typically Oscar-y sort of, you know, uh, baity sort of stuff. Like it's the reader all over again. I think I quite liked the reader. <laughs> yeah, but the reader was very much like, oh, we need a fifth one. Are we going to nominate the Dark Knight? Nah, nah. nah. <laughs> Chuck the reader in there. It's got Holocaust in it. Okay, Kate Winslet. Yeah, all right. Let's do that one. Yeah. Anyway, I feel like we saved the best till last here. Are we ready to move on? I don't want to force us to move on. Yeah, yeah, move on. Everything Everywhere All at Once came out not as part of the awards circuit, just as like a film, but it, it immediately generated insane amounts of buzz. And I don't know anyone who didn't utterly love this film. So, Alan, are you about to Hello. forge new ground? <laughs> oh, no! Oh. I was All right, let me start, with let, me, let me start. Okay, right. I just watched this the other day, um, so I, I saw trailers and stuff at the time, and I, I was not quite won over. I thought, oh, I might see that, and I just never bothered. So, you know, it's been put back into the cinemas because of the Oscars thing. I went to see it. Um, I... Um, I didn't get I didn't get past the this is just a load of silly nonsense level of it. You got no sense of fun. You hate the multiverse because you're sick of Marvel. <laughs> I do. Yeah. People like the multiverse, Alan. They like it. Okay. Um but 
<laughs> yeah, it, it it was sort of fun and silly, but it felt like it was reaching for something deeper, and I never I never got there with it. And once again, as all these bullshit things like Inception, not Inception, that's not the one I'm looking at. What's Interstellar and uh, the Matrix? It's all about like, oh, we can do, we can pass through time and space be- with the power of love. Uh, I just wind well, yeah, up. but I I think so. Interstellar sets itself up as hard science. I'm Christopher Nolan. I've read every textbook on wormholes. This is going to be accurate. And then he just drops in the power of love in the middle and it's like what the fuck are you doing? Everything everywhere all at once never once like pertains to be anything other than like, you know, a, a fucking Quentin Blake illustration. It's like it's a silly whimsical poetic thing from the get-go. It's a it's a comic yeah. strip. It's a cartoon and that's fine. Like it, it and, and I think it brings a great deal of depth into the proceedings from that vantage point. But um it's it's taken on a poetic level. It's not and I think that's fine to talk about the power of love in a in a metaphorical sense. It's you know? But it was yeah, but it was just silly. And nonsense. Yeah, and, it was um, funny. It was hilarious, in fact. Go on, what? Tell me a funny bit. Rakakuni. <laughs> Excuse me, <laughs> Alan. If you didn't think that was funny, then God help you. No, not only was that not funny, but it was dragged into the ground and beaten to death as a gag. Like, oh, remember this gag we did? Yeah, look at this. Horrible. It's just no. It was it was set up. That as was like the a least funny... funny bit. Jamie Lee Curtis was funny. It was set up as a funny talking point, like a sort of oh that's funny. She doesn't know this thing. Then we see it for real in an alternate reality, and it's like no way they actually went there, and that's really funny. And yeah, mm. then they keep going back to it, which I didn't need. But I don't feel like they're dragging the joke into the ground. They're just showing us this alternate universe. I don't think like it's meant to be funny each time we go back there. The same thing with the sausage fingers. Again, like that's like a funny thing the <laughs> yeah, first time I you see it. I didn't it. think that was funny the first time either. It just didn't make any sense. I I thought it was really funny when it, they were rocks. It felt like things that were really trying to be funny. I think that was the problem. It felt very... It was a real try-hard film. I don't think it was. I I think it's an incredibly... I kind of felt, right, similar to you, the first 20 minutes, half an hour, when we're, like, dealing with the setup, the premise, it felt very try-hard to me. It felt like, oh, I've heard how quirky and imaginative this film is, and I'm not really getting that sense. Then it settles into the premise and what it's actually doing, and it was like, oh, no, no, it is actually just, like, imaginative and exciting and fun and it's doing things I haven't seen before and I think it reaches you know I'll agree it kind of it's maybe a tad too long it may be you know I didn't need to repeat universes more than once but um but I think there's so much to be said that the scene where the the villain the daughter is like walking down the corridor and just like flittering in and out of different outfits for example there's so much like imagination and thought and and artistry that's gone into every frame of that you know it's i i just but then alan has no sense of whimsy (laughs) what's the most whimsical film you've ever enjoyed like fargo probably isn't it (laughs) come on then calvin tell me why this is your favorite film ever well, <laughs> I won't go that far, but it's certainly my favourite film of these Oscar candidates. Um, I, I did see it when it it's first came out. It's my favourite Best Picture nominee in years. I can't remember the last time I saw a Best Picture nominee that I liked this much. Ooh, you know what? I might be on the same page with you there, actually. I, I have a hard time thinking about 
Yeah, another one. Um, uh, but no, it sounds like me and Sol are very much on the same page. I remember seeing this when it first came out in the cinema, um, and I I don't think I've cried so much. Like I, I, I found it very deeply moving. A lot of mm. the themes it's exploring, just nihilism. <laughs> but in a very, like, I didn't feel like it was being too... Uh, too whimsical or too forced quirky, yeah. I guess. I felt like it was dealing with a lot of quite weighty issues in quite a, a realistic way, you know, in, in terms of how it was presenting and discussing some of, some of the ideas, uh, maybe not the details of what's going on. Um, but no, I like that whole like sequence with the rocks when they're talking to each other as rocks. I remember I was just I, like welling up I nearly with tears. Cried. Yeah, no, yeah. I I was really I thought it was really funny, and then yeah, I I just felt it really resonated with me on so many levels. To generate such like sincere raw human emotion there out of this mm. dynamic between these characters, and yet you're watching a static shot of two rocks. Mm. I think is remarkable. I think that's incredible filmmaking, frankly. Um, I think what you said, Sol, as well about it, that, you know, the richness of it, um, I think it is. I think it's, you know, decadent in the best ways in a lot of, you know, these montages of all these different universes. And people have done things where you can see every frame of a montage on Twitter and whatever and just scrolling through. It's just insane the amount of costume and makeup and just thought mm. that went into each one. It never feels just random, like, oh, just put Michelle Yeoh in a hot dog suit and that call it a day. It's like every single one feels like it has a purpose and a story behind it. It's just so so nice and just um it feels like a really incredibly well thought out world well multiple worlds i guess i'm not saying this is the funniest film i've ever seen uh, you know I, I again i don't really think of it first and foremost as a comedy um i think of this as a really great emotional sci-fi story with a sense of humor about itself and you know mm. it, um so i'm not approaching this like i had a you know i was laughing my head off kind of Thing. I've looked, by the way, I have to go all the way back to Whiplash 2014 to find a film that I like perhaps more than this one. So that, I mean, that's nearly 10 years. <sighs> but I just, I don't know, Alan, you just, you, you, you hate fun, don't you? Like, what, what did you, but then you hate bleakness as well, because the, the other end of the spectrum, Banshees of Inisherin pissed you off because it was too effective in making you feel upset. <laughs> And the middle of the road's no good for you either, because women talking was just in the middle and didn't really make you feel anything. Well, <laughs> um, what do I want? It's a big question. Probably one I can't answer right now. I mean, I, I just thought it was great. I and and I agree with Calvin. The, the the themes of like nihilism as well. This sense of like, yeah, this character can you know is essentially omnipotent, really, for all intents and purposes, and how that manifests, and then trying to overcome that. These are themes and ideas I resonate with, and I like that I've normally, you know, you usually get them in a much harder sci-fi setting, with like a robot or an AI, a chat GPT that's become sentient, and you know, you have mm. to kind of reason with it. But I just thought it worked on such a human level, and that's not to say it's perfect, like it is a very messy film, there are a lot of elements that I feel come and go and aren't really justified jenny slate for example when she starts attacking them with her dog i don't really know what that's all about feels apparently very... there was a whole subplot with her that got like yeah. almost completely removed she was she was like a jamie lee curtis level of presence um yeah. but then completely yeah they, they just had to strip back one of the subplots well i loved it um 
I, I like these Daniels. Daniel uh, Schneinert <laughs> and uh, Dan Kwan. You know, they, they've been working together for a while. They, they've made some very kind of Adult Swim-esque kind of feature films. Uh, Swiss Army Man is the obvious one. The, the one where Daniel Radcliffe plays a, a corpse with an erection who keeps farting. It's, it's in their wheelhouse, this, but I never kind of thought they would hone their craft and also be taken seriously for what they're doing to the extent that they have here. And I just think it's, I think it's wonderful that not only is this up for the Oscar, because it came out and it was just like a film, but then I came away thinking like you know what i think this is going to be at the oscars i think it's that good i think enough people are really resonating with it i think michelle yo is going to be nominated um the fact that it's now front runner to win mm. i think is wonderful and I, and I think it's a rare case where we're likely to see assuming it does win you know i think that is universally the best film of the year as agreed by pretty much everyone that will probably stand the test of time you know is gonna win and i think that's what the oscars should be and it's what they should strive to be and the last time we had that was when parasite won which was only Mm. a few years ago and i say that as someone who doesn't particularly care for parasite but undeniably parasite is the film from 2019 that you know resonated with people and really hit a chord and will be remembered and you know that's that's what we should be championing as opposed to fucking coda look <laughs> green book really resonated with a lot of people okay <laughs> anyway yeah i'm all for it being here i think it's gonna win and it deserves to my favorite of the year nine out of ten loved it i would love it to win i've i don't think i've ever rooted for a, a thing to win the you know the best picture oscar as much as this um i still have a feeling that it's it is just going to end up going to women talking or something like that because uh i if think it's not this it'll be banshees of inner sharon or yeah. a real surprise for something like top garner or quiet on the western front but mm. But I, I mean, this, this and Banshees are my two favorite films. Oh, or of- Tar. Forgot about Tar. Tar would be my third, third oh. place likelihood. Ta- Tar's my third favorite. I don't know if we're planning on doing rankings at the end of this. Um, but yeah, no, everything, yeah, everywhere, on, all at once them. was like so easily my favorite of um, all of these films that we've talked about. Like I say, I saw it when it first came out, and I thought that that was going to hurt its awards chances. Actually, obviously, most Oscar-y films come out late in you know the the year or you know it's it's a november december january sort of thing but i think it will hurt its chances to be honest i think if it doesn't win it'll be because it came out so long ago that the star has faded and people have moved Mm. on a bit i I think if it was still riding that hype train from when it came out it would be a a an absolute hundred percent shoo-in yeah no and i completely agree with everything you said i think it it deserves to win really quite frankly you know if democracy has anything to say about it um so fingers crossed it does um it's 10 out of 10 from me i love this film go on alan break our hearts (laughs) i gave it a six hmm Wow, well, you know That's what? That makes it the highest-rated Best Picture nominee we've ever had on Diminishing Returns. Even Alan hey. wasn't mean enough to tank it. But, I mean, this was my favourite film of the year, 2022, up until I finally got to watch Puss in Boots, <laughs> The Last Wish, which is actually my favourite film of the year now. Have you seen Puss mm. in Boots yet, either of you? No. No. Oh, man. It... it, it, it Talk about a, f- a fucking long-time sequel that has no right being as good as it is. 
Puss in Boots 2 is magnificent. Have you seen the animated films that are up for this year? Should we have a quick sidebar about animated films? I've seen Turning Red and that's it. I know that's really bad. You've not even seen Pinocchio? Nope. Guillermo del Toro? I I know, I know, but I, I, I... Watch that other Pinocchio, and I feel like I'm burnt on Pinocchio now for a bit. I just, can't, I just can't. Been, I've genuinely been like, oh, my thumb has just been over the play button, but I just can't do it. I'm, yeah. It's a very good film. I've heard it's very good. I will probably enjoy it an awful lot when I watch it, but I just fucking ugh, that other Pinocchio. I think you'll like it. Yeah, it's 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 much more. I knew it was going to be a Del Toro take through and through, but it was more that than I was expecting. If I'm completely honest, I didn't I didn't think he was going to completely rework it. To, you know, the, the backdrop of the fucking war going on again. He loves that, doesn't he? And hmm. weird afterlife demons and things. It's yeah, it's it's very Del Toro, and it works remarkably well. And it's probably going to win. It's the front runner to win. But mm. I will say now, if there's going to be an upset animated film, it's going to be Puss in Boots. I think people are underestimating the. I've heard great things of, about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think people are underestimating the amount of goodwill towards the Shrek franchise. The fact that the Oscar voting base has definitely changed a lot in the last few years to be a lot more in favor of fuck. We can we can just enjoy stuff. It doesn't all have to be deep and meaningful. Puss in Boots as well actually is quite deep and meaningful as far as like kids films go. The animation is stunning, like um, just incredible work. So um, the voice cast all around, honestly, Puss in Boots wonderful film that'll be the one to win if there's an upset but pinocchio is the favorite uh alan i'm assuming you've seen none of these films is that right well i'm just gonna rattle off because i've seen all of them just out of interest really not not because they were nominated i just thought like eh. went to see marcel the shell with shoes on don't know why it's in this category it's not an animated film it's live action with a little cgi shell in it um so Avatar 2 should really be in the category as well, but um, whatever, it was fine. Didn't like Turning Red. Calvin, you loved Turning Red, didn't you? Yes, I liked it very much. Yeah, and then I watched The Sea Beast. I did watch The Sea Beast just because it was nominated, and I thought, well, I might as well tick it off. That is a terrible film that has no, no, no place at the Oscars. That I, I don't know why it's there. That's so interesting, because... I, I will watch it at some point, but I everything that I'd seen about it, when I saw it be nominated, I was kind of like, oh, that's it. It looks like dog shit. <laughs> the voice acting's terrible. It's hmm. all, And it's people I like. Carl Urban's in it, doing his British accent that he's so good at doing, as we know from the boys. Hmm. All right, mate, I'm Carl Urban. I'm a British explorer, mate. I thought that was Australian. In the boys. Yeah. Yeah, so did everyone, but until they get a few... No, he's, he's, he's a cockney in The Boys. That's oh. how bad his accent is. Oh, right. Mm. I think it took me till the episode when he starts going on about the Spice Girls. You're just like Jerry when when the Spice Girls went, went solo. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I have Sea Beast shit, 4 out of 10. Marcel the Shell, 7 out of 10. Turning Red, I didn't like it, 5. Pinocchio, 8. Puss in Boots, 9. That's my animated mm. films for you. Yeah, very good. Any other thoughts? I think Kate Blanchett's going to win. Uh, for Tar. I do too. I think Michelle Yeoh, I, I would love Michelle Yeoh to win. I think I prefer Kate Blanchett's perform- performance as Tar, but I would love Michelle Yeoh to win, and I think if she does win, it's on the basis of, you know, career uh, recognition. Not to say that, you know, I think she's phenomenal in everything everywhere, but I, I did think that Kate Blanchett as Tar was just, uh, yeah, mm. something else. Has um, Kate Blanchett won an Oscar? She must have yeah. done. Yeah. 
She's yeah. probably got about 200 of by now. Let me just have a quick look. Uh, yep, two Academy Awards. Yeah, I think she's going to get a third one. Oh, you know what I think's criminal? And this is a very, like, minor thing to be complaining about, really. Tar hmm. isn't nominated for Best Sound. And I think huh. I think the sound design in Tar is, like, exquisite. It's the first time yeah. I've noticed the sound mix in a film since uh, Sound of Metal, probably. Hmm. Um, so it won't win there, but it should. It's the same way The Batman isn't nominated for Best Original Score, even though it, like, easily had the best original score of the year for my money. Um, best Actor's going to be interesting, because I know that Brendan... Like, The Whale isn't supposed to be very good. I've not seen it, but... Yeah, I've not seen it. I know he's got a lot of goodwill. From the start, I was saying, I think people are overestimating the amount of goodwill there is towards Brendan Fraser. Like, I think mm. I think people our age have fond memories of The Mummy. Yeah. And I don't think that's going to translate into the Academy voters necessarily. So yeah. from the start, I never thought he was a dumb thing. And now Austin Butler seems to be riding a wave of, uh, oh, actually, he's probably going to take it away from him. And I, I haven't seen The Whale, but I actually think Brendan Fraser's a pretty poor actor in most of what I've seen in his career up until now. Mm. Maybe yeah. he'll surprise me when I get round to it, but... Nah, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't seen that either, but I, I Brendan Fraser is great as a kind of dopey, heroic lead. I think that's, yeah, he's a char- that's charismatic yeah, yeah, yeah. movie star, you know? He's not a, an actor. Ki Hu Kwan, if that's how you say it, is the favourite to win supporting actor for everything Dr. Jones. all at once. Talking about goodwill from like a career, I think there is a great deal of like, oh, we love this comeback story of this child actor from hmm. things we love, kind of coming back and doing. I thought he's really good, actually. I liked, I liked him in that. No problem. He with is, him in that. he is very yeah. good. I, I would give it to Brendan Gleeson out of all the people there that I've seen. Hmm. Um, I could believe Brian Tyree Henry deserves it, but no one's seen Causeway. Yeah. <laughs> so, um. But I, I'd be happy with most of the like either of those. I'd be happy with Barry Barry Cogan. I'm not so sure about Judd Hirsch. Yeah, whatever. He turns up for one scene and fucks off again, mm. and it's fine. You should... Angela Bassett's the favorite to win supporting actress for Black Panther. That's weird, isn't it? Uh, I could see it happening. Um... I reckon it might be Kerry Condon, or maybe yeah. maybe Jamie Lee Curtis at a push. Well, mm. I think that um, Stephanie. Um, oh, I don't know how you pronounce her surname. Hsu. Hsu. Um, also from Everything Ever All at Once. Like, I think she probably deserved the, the nomination more than Jamie Lee Curtis. I think, as I say that, loving Jamie Lee Curtis in that film, and I think this is another one of those career recognition, and she campaigned pretty damn hard to be <sighs> nominated, because she got sort of, you know, fair play to her, like, as she says, you know, been yeah. in the business for 50-odd years, and it's, you know, finally people are you know, thinking of her in that category, so why not? Personally, I think the work Jamie Lee Curtis does in that film is a lot better than the work mm. Stephanie Sue does. But yeah, I mean, she on Stephanie is the obvious choice in terms of like being a much bigger role and doing more weighty mm. stuff. I think Jamie Lee Curtis does a lot more with much less, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would love um, it to be Jamie Lee Curtis. She would be my sort of favorite, just on a personal level. But uh, I think it yeah. could happen. Yeah. Um, I think Daniels will win director, but even mm. that it could be Martin McDonough. It could be Todd Field. Could happen. Mm. I think mm. everywhere, everything, everywhere is probably going to win original screenplay, but that could easily go to Banshees. Mm. Women talking is currently the favorite 
like from the bookies to win adapted screenplay, but I think it's going to be all quiet on the Western front, personally. Mm. Failing that glass onion, I, I just don't think people are into women talking enough to really mm. get on board with that. Tar deserves cinematography, but I reckon it'll go to All Quiet on the Western Front. All Quiet will definitely win Best International, won't it? Oh yeah, that that's like I think that's the safest lock at this awards <laughs> out of everything. Yeah. Everything else is a little bit up in the air. There's a lot of like fifty fifty, like makeup and hairstyling. You know, like that hmm. could be anything. The whale is the obvious one with the fat suits, but then Black Panther has really good makeup and hair and. I think the mm-hmm. first Black Panther won that, and then Elvis is your classic look. They're real people, and there's lots of outfits. And even All Quiet on the Western Front is like, yeah, look, they're having a shit time out in the war, and they all look dirty, and could go mm-hmm. to any of them, really. Mm-hmm. RRR is up for original song. That's the favorite to win because it, it got snubbed out of uh, everything else. Mm. People had a lot of buzz for that, that Bollywood film. Mm hmm. Um, but it didn't get entered by its country of origin for the international film category, so it couldn't be nominated, even though it probably probably would have won that, to be honest, or certainly be in hmm. the conversation for it. Anyway, anything to add, or or should we do a little ranking, like you said, Calvin? I've, I've pulled yes. up a list of what we got here. Shall I go first? Yeah, let's, let's hear it. Shall I do descending? Yeah, bearing in mind, I've not yet seen Avatar 2 and Women Talking, so this is just between eight. eight. Uh, I mean, like I say, I don't think that either of those films anyway had much of a chance of winning, so yeah. I, yeah. I, um, I would, yeah, I'm going to predict where they'd go for you in your list, but let's hear, <laughs> let's hear uh, the ranking. Well, well, at the bottom is The Fablemans. Uh, then Elvis, All Quiet on the Western Front, Triangle of Sadness... Top Gun Maverick, Tar, The Banshees of Inishirin, and then Everything Everywhere All at Once at the top. I predict you would put Women Talking at the very bottom and Avatar hmm. second from the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. might like Avatar more than The Fablemans, maybe, but I wouldn't I wouldn't expect much more than that. Yeah. Alan, do you wanna go? Ah, uh, they're all just mediocre, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no. Highest rating I gave was a seven. I think if I had to pick a favorite, it would be it would be Triangle of Sadness. That was your favorite. Are you are you in a bad mood, Alan? Because I've pointed out that you hate everything and it's made you sad. What do you think? I didn't know that before. <laughs> <laughs> can I can I tell you a film I really enjoyed that I watched recently? Yeah, please do. In in a in a in a wave of positivity, in a, a film I watched was like, oh yeah, this is why I like films. I remember. Uh, it's called Hit the Road. It's an Iranian film. It's about a family who are dr- driving across the country. Um, very funny. Uh, some kind of deeper meaning, emotional bits as well. Uh, and uh, quirky. But uh, yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. It's one of the favourite films I've seen in a long time. It's the first time, in, I, I can't even remember the last time I saw a film at the cinema and went, wow, a good film. Hmm. I really like this film. So there you go. Okay, well, my ranking, Elvis at the bottom, firmly at the bottom. <laughs> uh, fair, Top fair. Gun Maverick next up. Understandable. And then Women Talking, Avatar 2, The Fablemans, Triangle of Sadness. And then the top four here, I really like this top four. Very good top four for the Oscars. If we only had five nominations like they used to do, this would be such a strong bunch of films, you know? All mm-hmm. Quiet on the Western Front, Banshees of Inisherin, Tar, and then Everything Everywhere all at once. Hmm. Oh, very good. So we have the same top three. Do we? Did you go Banshees number three, Tar number two? Oh, no, sorry. Mine are the other way around. Yeah, Banshees at two, 
Tara at three, but it's very close. I, I gave both yeah, of them. Yeah, well, same. Very, very close for me, really. Wow. Okay. Um, but I, I agree. I think I may have said this in part one about how normally I think of Oscar-nominated films as a certain kind of thing that I'll watch and I'll think. I think you know, Power of the Dog and Hello High Water, those kinds of uh, mm. dramas that I'm like, oh, okay, it's a six, seven out of ten sort of experience. Um, this is the first year I think ever where I've been like, oh wow, there's such a variety of uh, genres here, and at least three films that I would say I really love. I agree with that, and I think I think uh, as negative as I have been, there's some interesting films here, definitely mm. uh, that you 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 got high on your list. And I think there's a lot of uh, interesting things to go. They just none of them quite worked for me, um, and they're all an hour too long. Uh, but <laughs> that aside, you know, yeah, there's a lot to be said here. I don't think this is just Oscar bait crap. Some of it is, but, yeah. You know. mm. Well, uh, weirdly enough, the the same year we started doing this podcast the oscars on this podcast and everything i was when i believe they sort of rejigged the rules of who was eligible for the academy who could vote all that sort of thing to widen the net and i think ever since then we've seen uh the oscars becoming far less uh pretentious far more you know you, you could argue uh just mainstream and and populist but i think it's i think it's a good thing i think the oscars should be championing good films regardless of like if they're a boring drama or not and hmm. it should embrace all assets of cinema all aspects of cinema and i think we're just seeing that happen increasingly year on year um i don't think this is a particularly remarkable set of oscar best picture noms it's a lot better than last year uh where we mm -hmm. had coda as the winner last year there were no great nominees everything was just kind of okay whereas this year i think there's a whole load of great ones but you know i i only need to go back to like 2019 i think to find a group of uh nominations that i preferred 2019 the same thing if you're talking about like a, a real like mix of different types of films you had parasite 1917 jojo rabbit joker <gasps> ford v ferrari God. little women marriage story once upon a time in hollywood the irishman like that's a real mix of different things and yeah i hate joker too but <laughs> I, like... I just I'd, I'd completely forgot it'd been nominated for best picture <sighs> I, I i find that baffling but overall, you know, I, I, I didn't watch these films like Alan and think, for fuck's sake, like, what is going on? There were only three that I was sort of unsure about. But they, they have weirdly, I think, committed to doing a full ten nominees again this year, and I wish they'd just make their fucking mind up about that. Every year it's like, we're going to do between five and ten, or oh, we'll do whatever we feel like. Actually, we're doing ten. No, actually, we'll do whatever we feel Oh, no, we're doing ten again. <laughs> make your fucking mind up. God, <laughs> Jesus Christ. What's going to be up next year? Oh, that's a good question. I don't even know what's coming up. What am I looking forward to? Boring Martin Scorsese movie coming out that'll be there probably. <laughs> uh, trying to think of a fun thing to say that's actually believable. Like I can't say Evil Dead Rise because that's obviously not going to be there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just having a look now. Uh... Which Marvel movie is going to get nominated this time? Because <laughs> they're, they're crowbarring their way in there. Oh, Oppenheimer. 
that one's gonna Ooh, get a lot of buzz, probably, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, White Bird, a Wonder Story. I forgot about that. Have you heard about this film? What it's called, Bird. White Bird, a Wonder Story. Do you remember there was a film a few years ago called Wonder, where it featured uh, who oh, was in yeah, it? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, yeah, Julia Roberts and Owen Wilson, and it was about a boy who had a, a kind of a, a disability, like a facial. Um, disability, I don't know the exact term for it. Um, and it was about, you know, a drama about him fitting in at school and getting bullied and all that kind of thing. They've made a spin-off film where one of the bullies from the film goes to his grandma who tells him a story about like her childhood in Nazi-occupied France in World War Two, and how that somehow is going to relate to his experience as a um, a kid, I guess. But the trailer's really wild if you watch that because they try to tie it back to this kind of sweet little family drama, and then it turns into like Helen Mirren recounting her Nazi stories. Anyway, I, I I think I've got it here. I'm gonna I'm gonna call this right. I might be way off base here, but I think this is going to turn up in a lot of like best picture and uh, other categories next next year. What's that? Bo is afraid. Bo is which afraid. Is, you know Ariaster of Hereditary and Midsummer. Ah, yes. It's his upcoming third film, and it's a comedy drama as opposed to a horror film. So the Oscars will actually pay attention to it ah. with Whacking Phoenix in the lead. I reckon that's going to be one of the one of the big, oh yeah one of the big ones. Maybe yeah. not the front runner, but I think it'll be there. Yeah. But I'm most looking forward to Evil Dead Rise. My own personal Oscars. <laughs> Evil Dead Rise, best picture. Give it to him now. Done. Best original song, Evil Dead Rise. Doesn't matter if there's actually a song in it. Let's just give it the award now and be done with it. Oscars. All right. Uh, thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. This was fun. Thanks, Alan. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> Are you okay, Alan? Have we have we broken you here? Yeah. Have you eaten today? Do you... <laughs> I quit my job last night. Oh, uh, how come? Was there a sick of it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how anyone could do the same job. Yeah, I mean, I've What are we doing next? Are we doing something else? Do you want to do an Easter special? Can we not be bothered? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's do something fun. Well, it's what Alan thinks is fun, let's bear in mind, because everything everywhere all at once isn't fun to you. (laughs) Calvin, should we let Alan pick? There must be something about where Vince Vaughn has to go undercover as a priest. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know what? I do actually think that that's a really good idea. Alan, If, if I think Alan should just pick any film. <laughs> but it has to have a religious theme. Uh, yes. yes. But if you can find a Vince Vaughn film <laughs> where he's... <laughs> Where he plays a sexy priest. It probably exists. <laughs> yeah.